This, this is the Rich Eisen Show. Lobs and yes! It's good. DeAndre Ayton scores the basket over the rim and in. DeAndre Ayton put it over the rim and in. Live from the Rich Eisen Show studio in Los Angeles. And I think Phoenix should be the favorite to win the title. Uh, hold on a second. You gotta pump those brakes. I'll just respectfully disagree with you there. Today's guests. Broadcasting legend Bob Costas. Emmy Award-winning actor Tony Hale, plus your phone calls and more. And now, it's Rich Eisen. Okay, everybody, hour number two of the Rich Eisen Show is on the air. We'll take your phone calls in this hour at 844-204-RICH, being the number to dial here on the program. We talked quite a bit about last night's finish between the Suns and the Clippers. Took a half an hour to play 90 seconds and the last point uh nine seconds took 11 minutes but boy they packed in one of the biggest finishing shots we've ever seen uh with deandre ayton tonight it's the bucks and the hawks having game one of the eastern conference championship called by marv this is the the final uh the final run for the great marv albert um who you know is one of the many reasons why i I do this for a living which is talk sports um, and uh, and this next gentleman, I'm thrilled to be able to call a friend. And Chris, uh, we have already checked uh, ourselves for foreign substances three yes, times to three, make sure that times. this conversation is on hour. the up and up. Yeah. Uh, one of the all-time greats, 28-time Emmy Award winner and Baseball Hall of Famer, Bob Costas. How are you, sir? Hey, Rich. How are you? I'm, I'm conflicted, Bob. I'm very conflicted. Yes, I am. What can I do to help, Rich? I'm, I, 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 you know, the pitchers, you know, using all of this gunk this year, and many of them br- bringing this on themselves. But I, 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 I don't like seeing um, Hall of Fame pitchers to be, you know, pulling it, their pants open, and managers like Girardi screaming at the other dugout, "Come on out, let's go fight." I mean, this is not what baseball should be, Bob. Honestly, well, I think in the case of Girardi Scherzer. Some of this is gamesmanship and an unintended consequence of baseball trying to crack down on the excessive use of these various substances, try to get in Max Scherzer's head, try to disrupt whatever rhythm he's got going. And I guess they could have anticipated that. My understanding was that unless there was something so flagrant that it was happening right in front of everybody in the middle of an inning, that what umpires have been instructed to do is to randomly check pitchers as they come off the mound, so it would not delay the game. It's the end of a half inning, or perhaps in a circumstance where a pitcher has been removed and there's a break while the other pitcher comes out of the bullpen, then you check whomever. Not every time, but randomly. Enough like traffic stops uh, with radar, enough to at least curtail those who are speeding in, in this case, or those who are cheating. I didn't think it was intended to start a parade of checking in the middle of innings, or allow managers to use it as a form of gamesmanship, which is apparently what happened. And then uh, Sergio Romo turned it into a form of burlesque, which was amusing. <laughs> he did. I mean, like he went uh, Steve Lyons on us, Bob. Like taking right, his, right. I mean, all, the, all the Lyons didn't know what he, what he was doing. <laughs> right. He didn't realize what he was doing but, until uh, it was too late. But I mean, you know, Manfred can't want to see pitchers taking their pants down. Like, I mean, this is this is ridiculous. It really. No, I, I think there's universal agreement that we don't want pitchers dropping trow or for that matter <laughs> shortstops or right fielders dropping trow in full view of everybody 
So, um, what's the fix, Bob? Uh, I have an idea. I'd love to hear what your idea is, because clearly the first 48 hours... And look, look, you, you, you can't also sit here and say somebody who's going to the Hall of Fame is above getting checked out. When I had Rod Carew on last week, and he said he told Gaylord Perry all the time, you throw whatever you want, I'll just hit the dry side of the baseball. So, what, what, is, what is the fix in your mind, Bob Costas? It, it seems to me that what they have to do is identify accept an acceptable substance or one or two acceptable substances because it is necessary for pitchers to get a grip on the ball there are different weather conditions especially when it's cold um, you can recall this it seems quaint um, I can recall saying it as a broadcaster the umpires will tell us before a game let's say in April or a postseason game in October in a cold weather site you're allowed to go to your mouth on the mound which has been outlawed in most circumstances because the pitchers need something to get a grip on the baseball not just for their effectiveness but to prevent a pitch from getting away at 90 plus miles an hour and buzzing somebody upstairs so you don't want that to happen in fact Scherzer made that point uh, after the game last night but they can identify it would seem to me one or two acceptable substances available in every clubhouse and dugout and since a rosin bag has been at the back of the mound since the beginning of time that indicates that baseball understands that you need something <clears throat> to help with a grip perhaps they can come up with something either in addition to or in place of the rosin bag that would come that would be placed on the downside of the mound behind the pitcher and could be used but it's MLB approved and anything other than that, if you're found with any substance other than that, no matter what your lame, the dog ate my homework excuse is, you're suspended. And it doesn't matter if you're a Cy Young winner or the last guy out of the bullpen. Uh, the question is, is, you know, why hasn't that happened? I mean, you know, I Manfred's, no Manfred's smart enough. Everyone's smart enough. Everyone knows that what we just saw from DeGrom getting checked, even though his spin rates are, are lower than most despite his incredible talent, and Scherzer getting checked three times. It took one, you know, I guess full day uh, on Tuesday uh, with many teams off Monday, one full day for a manager to come across as looking like he's using it to mess with a pitcher's head. Uh, I mean, why are we going through what you referred to? It is literal figurative burlesque. Why are we doing this? What's going on? Well, perhaps they didn't uh, institute this with enough foresight uh, we know a lot of pitchers said, look, uh, let's institute this next year. But baseball is concerned. Um, I haven't checked the numbers in the last week or so, but at one point, a couple of months into the season, uh, the overall MLB average was the lowest since 1968, which prompted the lowering of the mound <clears throat> when MLB overall hit 237. <clears throat> pardon me, and then later... A couple of years later, the American League goes to the DH. And if you take 1968 out of the mix, then the overall MLB batting average a couple months into this season was the lowest in modern history, lowest since the 1880s or something like that. So maybe they felt we couldn't wait until 2022. Mm -hmm. This is a crisis, and we've got to get a handle on it as soon as we can. And that was brought on maybe in the fact that they decided to not deal with the issue um uh, in in this particular off season, and we did, you know, see spider tack and all. I mean, that's crazy, Bob. Uh, right? I mean, like, I, I, what was the craziest substance you ever heard was being used uh, in in the last you know decades of this sport, oh, well, Bob? Petrol, petroleum jelly. 
other forms of lubricant which are designed for more intimate settings than steady build with people, etc., etc. Ah. Bob Costas here uh, on the Rich Eisen show. So, what's the, are we just going to continue to see this? Uh, I mean, what are you are you hearing anything about what's being discussed? Uh, I mean, are, what do you think, Rich? I think this is the key difference. Guys have always cheated, looked for an edge. Some of it we looked on almost benignly, like it's interesting gamesmanship. <clears throat> Pardon me, Elston Howard of the Yankees back in the 60s used to say that he would nick a baseball on his shin guard before throwing it back to Whitey Ford. Mm. And that one little nick allowed Whitey to make the baseball do some things that he otherwise couldn't make it do. Gaylord Perry, we, we all know, and Gaylord went through an elaborate series of, of maneuvers, touching the bill of his cap, touching his belt, touching his jersey, the back of his hair, all those things, if only to put the fear of it in the batter's mind, and to uh, offer too many possibilities for the umpires to crack down on him, or Don Sutton, or others. Okay, we knew it existed, but the general impression was that it's a handful of guys who are doing this effectively. Now, with the biomechanics that have come into play, uh, with, with the way pitchers, are, pitchers train, um, with the emphasis on velocity and spin rate, uh, high-tech coaching, then, uh, then supplemented by these various substances, it's across the board. Not everybody may be as effective, but a huge percentage, the consensus is a huge percentage of pitchers, from middling guys all the way up to future Hall of Famers, are using this to gain a further advantage. So you have, instead of a few little wink-wink outliers, the Gaylord Perrys of the world, you've got an epidemic throughout the sport, and it's affecting the appeal of the sport as an entertainment product. When you look back at the steroid era, it was wrong. It poisoned the record books, but you could make a case that it actually made baseball more entertaining for a period of time. People responded to it. They may feel differently about it through the rearview mirror, but in the here and now, they responded more or less favorably to it. No fans respond favorably to this form of baseball, where action is suppressed, where run scoring is suppressed, um, where the strikeout rate in Major League Baseball, Rich, the overall strikeout rate is equal to Nolan Ryan's career strikeout rate. Nolan Ryan struck out about 25% of the batters he faced over his quarter-century career. That's the average strikeout rate in Major League Baseball now. All pitchers combined. This is not entertaining. Yeah, I was in, and you, you, you tack it on to, well, you know, the Rays doing like what a lot of teams are doing as well, which is start the opener, not a starter, start the right. opener. Uh, then get yourself to a fifth inning where you might have one lead and then bring in one 100-mile-an-hour thrower after another out of the pen and get the right mix of uh, exit velocity and spin rate and and shifting and get yourself uh, to the World Series. And I, I just I, – I, I run that – I said the – you know, that's akin to having the first 90 scripted in the NFL. It just it just comes across as, as – not enough heart and soul and feel and gut the whole thing yeah. and and 
you know, add on the, the spider tack after the Apple Watch, after the Theragun, after all of that. And it's just, what, you know, what can be done, Bob? I guess that's why I said at the very beginning I'm conflicted because I love this sport, you know, so much. And I know that it's yours to love as well. So what do you think? You know, what you just mentioned prompts another point, which is implied. Uh, it used to be that a fastball above 90 was noteworthy. Now, like 91, 92 is the average big league fastball. And we know that a lot of guys, some of them starters and certainly bullpen guys who come out and just let the throttle out for an inning or a few batters, 95-plus is commonplace. So if you combine that with additional spin rate on that pitch and then additional spin rate on a hard-breaking slider, big league hitters are overmatched in many circumstances. The game has a certain balance. And when that balance has gotten out of whack in the past, adjustments have been made. Baseball's very slow to make these adjustments. Other sports tend to do it more quickly. And baseball, you know, because it has its history that you don't want to mess with, et cetera, et cetera, maybe it's a good thing that they're generally slow to change things. But we can see now that it is out of whack again. It was out of whack in the late 60s in favor of the pitchers. It was way out of whack in the 90s and the early 2000s because of steroids and other factors in favor of the hitters. And now it's back out of whack in favor of the pitchers again. And they have, they have to recalibrate this most, most urgently because it affects the business. It affects baseball as an entertainment product. But it also affects competitive balance and whatever is left of generational comparisons, which are difficult to begin with, but whatever is left of that, which is part of the enjoyment of baseball, if the conditions are so starkly different from one decade to the next, then, then some of that generational comparison goes away. Bob Costas here on the Rich Eisen Show. In the few minutes we, we have left then, Bob, let's, let's stroll down memory lane. Let's, uh, let's, get, uh, let's get back to uh, some other times here. Um, 37 years ago today, where were you, Bob Costas? I was at Wrigley Field in Chicago, and it didn't even occur to me that this is yet another anniversary of the so-called Sandberg game until I heard someone mention it on the air this morning. Um, And for those too young to remember it, the key thing here is that the Saturday afternoon game of the week in the 70s, 80s, really to the cusp of the 90s, was a whole different thing than just a random baseball game that happens to be on on Saturday afternoons now. That was the only national telecast of the entire week in baseball. In 1984, the cable superstations that carried the Braves and the Cubs were in their infancy. So if you were in a non-major league city, that was your one chance to see Fernando Valenzuela face Johnny Bench or whatever it may have been. Um, And even if you did live in a major league city, most of those cities only televised maybe 25 or 30 road games for an entire year. It was an entirely different landscape. The Saturday afternoon game of the week sometimes got ratings of 9 and 10, ratings equal to primetime hit television shows. So Tony Kubek and I find ourselves at Wrigley Field in Chicago. It's the Cardinals against the Cubs, so it's classic. You always see some red shirts in the stands at Wrigley and some blue Cub shirts and hats at, at Bush Stadium. It's a beautiful Saturday afternoon. The Cardinals jump in front 9-3. to three. The Cubs come battling back. It's 9-8 to eight 
when Ryan Sandberg comes up in the bottom of the ninth to face Bruce Souter, and to show you how different the game was, Souter's been in the game for two innings already. He's trying to close it out. Sandberg homers into the left center field bleachers to tie the game at 9-9. They go to the 10th. Willie McGee doubles home a run. At that point, Willie McGee is hit for the cycle. He later scores what appears to be an insurance run. The score is 11-9. to Two outs, nobody on. Bob Dernier, the leadoff man, walks on a 3-2 pitch, a disputed 3-2 pitch. Up comes Sandberg again. Suter still on the mound. Sandberg hits the ball to almost exactly the same place. Looked like the same fan could have caught them both. Now the game is tied 11-11. The place is going berserk, and eventually the Cubs win the game in 11 innings, 12-11. The game, to this day, is still as the Sandberg game. It's a regular season game that has a title. The only other one I can think of is the Pine Tar game, where George Brett briefly had his home run disallowed at Yankee Stadium uh, and went berserk, memorably berserk, as he came charging out of the dugout. But that could never happen today, which is not a knock on modern baseball. But there's so much baseball available all the time. I'm sure there have been games just as wild and just in their own place as memorable as what happened on June 23, 1984. But it did not reach the entire country in quite the same way. Mm. The movie The Natural had come out only a month or two before, and at some point in the broadcast after Sandberg had hit a second home run, I said, we must be looking at the real Roy Hobbs here. Yes. Uh, this, you know, Sandberg's The Natural. And at that point, and Sandberg to this day says that that was the turning point of his career. It marked him as an MVP candidate. He did win the MVP. The Cubs, who were forlorn forever, as they usually are, emerged as a contender. They came within one win of making it to the World Series. And that one game stands out as the signature of a Hall of Fame career and the signature of the Cubs' rebirth. 37 years ago today. Um, amazing. And uh, I, before I do let you go, and I know we've, we've, we've chatted a while, but I do, I, I would be remiss if I did not ask you about marvelous uh, Marv Albert tonight, yes. making his first of final, what I hope is seven calls uh, in yeah. the Eastern Conference finals. I grew up in New York City watching Marv on WNBC uh, locally in New York, right. as well as him going national and calling Knicks and Rangers games on the radio as well. It's part of the reason why I sit in this chair, and I've told him that. Um, what are your recollections? First time you met him, anything you want to say about him uh, as he's embarking on his final assignment starting tonight? Every kid in New York who ever shot baskets in a gym or in a schoolyard uh, without, without a net on the rusty rim, We lost Bob. I know he was ready. Oh, no. He was just—he was winding up. Into it. Uh oh. Uh oh. We lost him. We lost, and Bob is probably sitting there somewhere in New York City, just still talking, because he doesn't know there was. All right. Just, Bob probably has a landline. Put him on hold. Uh, put him on hold. Let's see if you can get him back on. Try one more time. Try. Are you Bob. there, Bob? Ah. Damn it. Ah. I all right. Drop him. Yeah. Ah, I hated doing it. It's Bob. How dare you drop Bob Costner? I know. I mean, I know. I mean, <laughs> he's on a landline too. That's what happened. Just, hang, just hang up, and maybe he'll, he'll call maybe back. I'll call back. Marvelous Marv Albert. Oh. Yes, yes, tonight, and it counts. That's what he's basically going to say. That's what I did in my backyard. Yeah, of course. I mean, he was the guy. <laughs> we still do he it. He was the guy, <laughs> right? <laughs> All right. This kills me because I'm also one of those 
Yeah, you, you know, hate you I hate, hate like, being uh, able to end the call, to right? Say <laughs> I have to say goodbye. This, <laughs> this is. I'm one of those people that I have to say goodbye. I just say goodbye too All right. long. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back. If he's popping back on, then that's fine. I, honestly, this is killing me. It feels I'm like the air just got let Especially one of my favorite people to talk to. He was to. going on about Marv, too. About one of, my favorite, one of my favorite people to talk to. Going on about one of my favorite people. I'm done tap dancing. We'll come back, and hopefully Bob will pop back on. Right here on The Rich Eisen Show. And then your phone calls, too. Let's talk O'Reilly Auto Parts, people. Or as you might know from their jingle, O-O-O. O'Reilly Auto Parts. They're in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offers friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs because you know when you need your car fixed, you need somebody who knows what they're talking about and is helpful, has a smile on their face, and gets you back on the road. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. The team at O'Reilly Auto Parts can test your battery for free in or out of your car. If it needs to be replaced, they'll help you just... Find the right battery for your vehicle. Need your windshield wipers replaced, a brake light fix, or a quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. Whether you're a car aficionado or an auto novice, you will find the employees at O'Reilly Auto Parts knowledgeable, helpful, and the best of all, friendly. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash Eisen. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash Eisen. Let's talk sleep number, people, because quality sleep is so essential. That's why the sleep number smart bed is dissolved for your ever-evolving sleep needs. And the same thing for your partner. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Quiets your snores or your partner's? Sleep Number does that. My Sleep Number setting is 60. My wife's is 70. Ten numbers apart, but it truly is the world of difference. The Sleep Number sleep that you get is unbelievable. You will love it. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now you could save 50%. That's 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We've never done this, Mike. Are you ready to do this? You told I'm him excited. about yes. No, you told him about how you you are the Bill Walsh of audio executives. Exactly, you yeah. can't screw these up, okay? Yes. Okay. You one at a time. Yeah, right? Here we go. Yep. One at a time. Your favorite catchphrase from the original Predator. Go ahead. Here's one. If it bleeds, we can kill it. All right. That's number one. Here's number two. Okay. Get to the chopper. Okay. Hear them. Yes. <laughs> I'm just you can't hear them. So what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna. I'm, I'm, so I'm, I'm doing this blindfolded. Mike, wait a minute. The sound. Wait a minute. No, Did Bill Walsh cannot have the volume up? <laughs> Did the Bill Walsh of sound engineers not have the volume up for the segment? Oh my god. Oh boy. This is not bode well. Can you? Go, do, oh. <laughs> There's a method to his madness. Do you want to try one more time now? Yes. Okay, go. Go, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, man. Here he is. We can kill it. Okay, if it bleeds, you if can it bleeds, kill it. We can kill it. Okay, here's the next one. Get to the chopper! To the chopper. Mm-hmm. 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 And here's the other one. One ugly mother... Okay, there's that one. Okay. Start bench cut. All right, get to the chopper. It's cut. 
because it's only an incidental line, and the only reason we remember it is because he's Austrian. If any other actor on the history of the planet, and by the history of the planet, I mean the States. Because it's 1987, right? So the only country that exists is the United States of America. Sure. If anybody else said, get to the choppers, it wouldn't have been a line. It wouldn't have been a line. It's only because he's Austrian. Cut. Cut. It's superfluous. Wow. We're going to bench. We're going to bench. Um, uh, you are one an ugly, ugly mf because I have to be a comedian. I have to be a comedian of integrity who works from the highest point of <laughs> intelligence. We only like that because we were all 16 and he swore. So what you're gonna do is you're gonna start. If it bleeds, we can kill it because it because it's a succinct line. It furthers the plot, and it's done in a very naturalistic way. If it bleeds. We can kill it. Very well done. That's mm-hmm. just all right. There we go, that's, guys. Now, that's, what a talk. Now, for everybody else who comes in here on the Rich Eisen that's show, we're going to show I'm them. Setting the bar here. We're, we're going to show them this start bench cut because you have raised the bar, Keegan. Setting Michael the bar King. right here. We're going to edit out Del Tufo. I was just going to say, <laughs> we're going to edit that can out. Can you edit that, edit out. that out? No, it, it, it's too it's good. Perfect. I love Keegan no. Michael Key, man. That's one of my favorite. Well, Del Tufo, you've been involved in some of our favorite that, moments. Him yeah, and mean, Mr. Wonderful from Shark I mean, Tank. The sign. It's all on our YouTube stream, youtube.com slash Rich Eisen Show. Over 278,000 subscribers uh, there and growing, and we always appreciate that. Uh, everybody go there once the show is over to see whatever you might have missed. Back here on the Rich Eisen Show, we're here on our radio as well. Um, you know, Bob Costas was just getting started about Marv Albert, but uh, to use a Marv phrase, his landline was rejected. <laughs> so we got him back out because we. I, I have to have closure. I'm one of those people. I can't. I can't just say I'll talk you to you do. another you time. You need closure. I need closure. I'm closure. like closure. I'm like Rivera. I need closure. Uh, Bob, are you there, Bob? You're back on. Uh, yes, I am. And you ever have this feeling? Usually it happens with a cell phone, not a landline. Yes. It drops out, but you don't know it. And so you're just listening to yourself make whatever wonderful point you think you're making. And then there's silence on the other end of the line. And for the first few seconds, you think what I said was so stunning that he or she has to gather themselves before responding. And then you realize, no, like, like someone just ranting in a bus terminal. You've been talking to no one in particular. <laughs> I'm sure it was great. That's why I wanted to call back and hear what you were saying. We, we lost you uh, uh, when I asked you about Marv, your thoughts on Marv, and you were saying anybody who's uh, playing on a, a yeah. basketball uh, in New York City, and then, boof, you were gone. So I'll give you the floor again with what you were saying with Marv beginning his final assignment tonight. As great and iconic as Marv has been on national television, and that alone more than qualifies him for every Hall of Fame for which he is eligible, to fully appreciate the whole arc of Marv Albert's career, you have to have heard him on the radio doing the Rangers and especially the Knicks. No disrespect to hockey, but the Rangers didn't win the Stanley Cup until 1994. The Knicks, when Marv was their young radio voice, not only won two championships in the early 70s, they were one of the most memorable and appealing teams in NBA history mm-hmm. because of the unselfish way in which they moved the ball, always looking for the open man. And some announcers have a style that matches the team with which they're associated. If we want to go way back, Ray Scott called many of the most memorable Green Bay Packer games. Ray Scott's style on CBS was so minimalist, so meat and potatoes, that the way he sounded matched the image of Vince Lombardi's Green Bay Packers. 
the way Marv Albert sounded on the radio matched the way the Knicks played. The quick, crisp, staccato calls as they crisply moved the ball around the court. Ideally, radio, which meant more generations ago than, than it does now because people relied on it more for information and also for sports. It was just more central than it is now. Radio, ideally, is the theater of the mind. If you knew the Knicks roster and you listened to Marv Albert call a game, you didn't just know who made the basket or who grabbed the rebound. You knew down to the foot where the ball was on the court. You could visualize every moment of the game. His calls elevated the way Vin Scully's calls or Jack Buck's calls elevated big moments for the Dodgers or the Cardinals. Marv Albert's calls are inseparable from that era of Nick basketball. Every kid who ever shot a basket in a gym or on a schoolyard someplace, every kid heard Marv Albert, every New York kid. And there were many cries of yes mm. when one out of every six or seven shots <laughs> I launched somehow found the bottom of the net. Yes, yes. and it counts and all yeah. of that. And, and then, of course, you were part of the broadcast team when – when NBC Sports got the NBA and, mm-hmm. you know, John Tesh's round ball rock was yeah. brought you into a broadcast hearing your voice first and then it would be Marv calling the game. And what, what was it like to be part of that era? We saw obviously part of it in the Last Dance documentary, but yeah. just just thinking about that again as Marv is wrapping up this storied uh, play-by-play career. It include you know, Super Bowls and things of that nature mm-hmm. as well on the radio. But uh, I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that, Bob. No disrespect to any others who have covered the NBA. CBS with Dick Stockton and company did a very good job during the Bird and Magic era. Mike Green is literally a Hall of Fame basketball announcer on ESPN and ABC, and they've got a good thing going with Jackson and Van Gundy. And, of course, TNT, the best studio show in the history of television sports, is Ernie Johnson, Shaq, Kenny, and and Barkley uh, on TNT. And Marv has been among those doing the play-by-play on TNT. So all that stuff is excellent. But I think the combination of the way the games were produced on NBC during that era in the 90s, the fact that it was the Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls era. Mm. It also encompassed the Dream Team in 92 in Barcelona. You got Marv calling the games. The games were brilliantly produced and directed. John Tesh's round ball rock still resonates with people. Um, we had dramatic openings, especially for the games in the finals, that brought the games on the air. That not only kind of uh, in two minutes summed up the narrative of where the series stood, but got you ready for the game. I have people tell me to this day, I guess they show up on YouTube, Mm. that they still get goosebumps watching some of that stuff. And then you hear Marv's voice, which is inseparable from the NBA of the 90s. I don't think that you can cover a league or a sport any better than NBC did with the NBA in the 90s. Yeah, and then just, just you know, Marv's voice, you know, Michael Jordan again, you know, as he's right, giving right. the shrug going up the court, you know, I mean, in the old Chicago stadium. I'm getting goosebumps just talking to you about it, Bob. It you really... know, sometimes there are some great broadcast calls where if you read a transcript, you say, wow, that's incredible. The transcript of Vin Scully's call of the entire ninth inning of Sandy Koufax's perfect game in 1965 is poetry. But then there are things which, if 99% of announcers said it, it would just be okay. 
But because it was someone like Marv Albert in that distinctive style saying it, that's what separated it. Oh, a spectacular move by Michael Jordan. Almost any announcer could say those words. But the way Marv Albert said them, that's what separated it from everybody else. If I had said those exact words, it would have been okay. (laughs) Marv said it. It was, whoa. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect, Bob. Thanks for the call. Thanks for the call back. Thanks for all that. You take care, bud. Thanks, man. That's Bob, Bob Costas. Oh, a spectacular move by Michael Jordan. That was the one where he looked like he was going to jam it with his his left hand, and then yep. he went and he went underneath. Sam Perkins. Right? Come on now. I can't believe it. So I'll, I, I, I get goosebumps just even. I'm, I'm breaking out in it. It's goosebump moments in sports, man. And Marv was the soundtrack of all of that. Amen to that. I'll save, you know, obviously for hopefully he'll we'll get him on in short order, either right before or maybe after his final broadcast, so I can personally thank him because again, that's why I do this. Yo. I grew up idolizing him, Howard Cosell, who, by the way, next time Al Michaels comes on, he'll tell you the story. He was there the first day Costas met Howard Cosell, oh. and the story. I th- it's one of those things where I've heard them both tell it. I've heard them both tell the story with each of them there. Okay. Okay. I've heard Al tell the story with Bob there and Bob tell the story with Al there. And I've heard them tell it separately to other people. And it's one of those like, you know, I'm fortunate to be able to have both of them on and also have a front row seat to the telling of the story. But it's one of those where do you want Bob to tell it or you want Al to tell it for the first time on the show? And I think it's Al needing to tell it. (laughs) Okay. I think I've decided I've landed on it's Al's We've story. We've landed to on tell. Al. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, Al's local, and the opportunity for him to physically be here, be here and right, tell right, it is right, right, is right. going to happen right. in the next few weeks. That will I mean, Bob is in happen. L.A. time and time. No, no, that. But so, I, I just know. think I, I've decided it's it's that okay. way to do. It. But it was Marv. It was um, Howard Cosell, and this is for uh, only people who grew up in the. New York metropolitan area, major metropolitan area when I was uh, that age. And Mike, you'll, you will know, and TJ, this will go over your head and it will go over your head uh, as well, Chris Brown. My reflexes but, are good, Rich. But, and, no, no, this is going to go over your head. But there was a, a local Channel 11 WPIX yes. sports WPX. announcer's name was Jerry Gerard. Oh, and he had a very dry sense of humor. This is also when Warner Wolf was doing it. Okay. That's a name that I think I'd be more nationally known because he yeah. was on Don Imus's right. syndicated radio show let's go to the video and so he yeah he would be let's go to the videotape would be his cue to start yes it would be would be his cue with no prompter to the control room start the video and let's go to the videotape and he would also warner wolf would be like you know i've warner wolf hey if you know if they're if the uh if the knicks won by 40 hey if you had the knicks and uh or the knicks would beat somebody by 40 if you had so and so and 41 and a half points you lost you know <laughs> yeah. like that sort of thing right. i probably botched that right. as you know i'm not really a gambler but so long story short is uh warner was the guy but there was also a guy in new york at the time jerry gerard who jerry also gerard. did it when warner did it and and marv did it on nbc warner warner wolf did it on cbs and jerry gerard did it locally on channel 11 there was a bill fellow named bill mazer who did it on channel 5 wow. but gerard had this very dry wit very, very smug, dry wit that was Sports Center before Sports Center. It was. Like Sports Center, as you know, did not 
was not born until the 80s. He was doing it right. before. Or did you just call him up, just Google him? Well, I'm right just there? looking up uh, Jerry Gerard, yeah. He uh, started as a radio DJ, Mike. Myrtle, yeah. Myrtle Beach. I don't, I don't, he, I, he was, did I, it in Altoona. I don't DJ. know if he's still yeah, alive see, or, or I knew not, Jerry but, Gerard. Uh, Jerry Gerard passed away in 2007. But he's one of the re- – I'm like, that guy's got a sense of humor and he's doing sports, and I kind of digged it. Marv and him – and, and Howard Cosell, those are the three people who just, I'm like, oh, I think I want to be a sportscaster. I think all three went to the same wig guy. Oh. oh, oh. What is the matter with you? Brock, too much? It is too much, oh. even for the Ball Brotherhood. Okay, why, would you call somebody, why would you call somebody out like that? Well, I'm just looking at pictures of Jerry, and it looked like, you know, he had a little help. <laughs> I don't know what the matter with you is. I'm, I'm this sorry. is an idol of mine. These, are, an idol. These are idols I'm of sorry. mine. I'm sorry. The fact that you would like say I don't know Jerry Gerard who worked in Altoona. That's did you know him? No, but I'm just saying <laughs> like the fact that but you would you think that if you were like, in Philadelphia, you might get the signal. It's possible you might get a signal. I don't know. I, I, you know, no. these are the days in rabbit ears. You might get the signal I don't on think top I was, of the television. I don't but think I was you alive. Live, you didn't grow up on the East Coast. I mean, hey, Rich, you grew man. up in the Eastern Time Zone, not the East Coast. There's a difference between Central Pennsylvania and Eastern Pennsylvania. Between you and your air quotes and, 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 and telling me I'm not East Coast man, like you are not East Coast. You're an East. I am. You're right. an Eastern Time Zone guy. You grew up in the Eastern Time Zone. Look, I'm gonna start moving further. Del Tufo and studio. I can say, say we're we East Coast. Coast. We are Brock, state. Brock is who has Atlantic spent Ocean. time in Maine on both coasts and parts of New England. You He's, you grew up. That's an you're, you're, dual coast. when you're in the Maine, you're 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 a New Englander, a New Englander, yeah, right. New Englander. But when you are live in on Long Island, right. New Jersey, New York, parts of Connecticut, you're an East Coast. That's the East Coast. You cross the Delaware River. This is no offense. If you grew up in Philadelphia, you're an East Coaster. Yeah, Philly's actually, yeah. yeah. That's like you the least. So, so because I'm two hour, two and two hours, two and a half hours no, no. away, Correct. I don't. Yeah. No, oh, yes. no. Yeah. If I got to choose a coast, I got to choose the East. I'm from out there, so don't go there. That's just to quote Biggie Smalls. <laughs> All right. I, two hours. I, I'm, I'm not saying this in any way, shape, or form other than to just... Make sure you understand. No, I that, need you that, guys understand I mean, that you grew that up. You grew I'm up East with Coast. a sense of East Coast. How dare you? And yes. you grew up in the Eastern Time Zone. Have you ever uh, been to Altoona, bro? Like, do you understand the do, mean streets of Altoona? Like, we'll uh, leave it at this. Phoenix people do not say they're on the West Coast. How do you know? You they don't. There? They definitely don't. They don't. I know a million people they live in Phoenix. You're not. Don't. Vegas people do not say they're on the West Coast. If you have to drive more than like thirty minutes to the beach, you're not. You're not yeah. on the coast. Philly's literally depends on how fast I go. Coast. I can get to Why Ocean bo- City, Maryland. How about this? Why does it bother you? Why do you want to be called East Coast? Because I'm East Coast. I'm not Midwest. All right. <laughs> I'm not calling you Midwest. Yeah, I'm not calling you Midwest. Midwest. You're calling me East Coast adjacent. Like yes. uh, that's close. <laughs> like Excuse if you were in an ad, like the you called to somebody from <laughs> Buffalo. Mike Hoskins sitting in the Rich Eisen show chair. Okay. You, I, I learned this a long time ago. Um. Roy Seekoff, who's a director at NFL Network, he's a diehard Die Buffalo. Buffalo Bill fan. He pulled me aside after a few years of NFL Total Access, kind enough to let me go enough. Um, he pulled me aside and said, you cannot keep referring to the Buffalo Bills as upstate New York. You cannot. Well, I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm from, I'm from New York City. Of course you're upstate. You're upstate. Anything that was outside of New York City is upstate New York. Albany, no. upstate. Uh, and Hoskins just got in my ear, and and you take 
Take the man from Altoona, if I'm correct. It's called Western New York. See, he just took. It's Western, Western New York. There's no. That's it. It's Western New York. So they, Buffalonian Buffalonians, <laughs> will not refer to themselves as. They didn't grow up on the East Coast. They didn't even grow up in upstate New York. They're Western New York. Ask anybody from Pittsburgh. Where are you from? You're from Western PA. Did you grow up on the East Coast in Pittsburgh? No. They're proud enough to say, no, I'm from Western PA. Why won't you say I'm from Central uh, Pennsylvania? Why won't you do that? I do Central Pennsylvania, but it's still on the East. It's on See the how East, I'm not flipping not it on its head East. and East. Well, well, I don't understand why. You know why? Why? All right, guys. Like, if, why if, do you want to be known as this coasting? This coasting just gets it, just bugs you so much. Then fine, I won't say East no. Coast. I'm from the East because it, it affects you. your. I don't know. I don't know. It affects you guys in some ways. You so might not be able to sleep excuse tonight. Me, excuse me. Excuse me. To use to use a boogie night. Where are you salty nice, from? There's no salt whatsoever. Phrase, it's not an MP. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a YP. YP. It's oh, it's not even. Don't it's, say it's my problem. It's not a YP because I'm. T- I know club. where I'm from. You're just not like, in the club. You know? You're not yeah. in the You're club. You're from of Central Pennsylvania. Yes. Why do you want to be in this club? Why don't you just be proud? Like you're from, like people from Buffalo. I'm from Western New York. Don't call me upstate New York. Don't call me a, a New York City person. I'm from Western New York. Pennsylvania, call me Western PA. That's what I am. Don't call me somebody from the East Coast. I'm Western PA. Why won't you just say I'm from Central Pennsylvania? Why don't you just I, I own think, it the I same think, way that you're, like, you're upset? I think we've made, first of all, upset please. Secondly, I think we've made note about where I'm from all the time. I mean, there's an Altoona mirror sitting right there every day you're for people. You're proud of where you're from. You... So yeah, but it's still, when you're in LA, people say, are you from? Are you an East Coaster? Yes or no? Do people say that if you're from back East? Do they say East Coast? They don't specify where you're from. It's either you're from Midwest or you're from the East Coast. That's what people say, and that's a fact. I mean, well, they really don't have a spot in the United States. It's <laughs> really. I mean, in all honesty, you're you are. Spotless. You're I got a spot for you guys, and it's right you're down there. Mr. Jason at down East where, Coast. Down it's, like, it's like Travolta. <laughs> it's like Travolta said, in, in, uh, in Tara. In, uh, in, in Re- Pardon my blanket. My God. I talk too much. You're talking so much trash that you can't even get, get your thoughts together. I know. Just give him the spot. Give him the spot. At Rich Eisen Show, Twitter right now is Altoona, Pennsylvania, East Coast. I don't care what Twitter has to say. <laughs> we do. Because you're not. <laughs> we really don't. My greatest example is Vegas. Or Phoenix is a little far. They're both six out. I mean, Phoenix is six. Vegas is four. That's not the West Coast. You're five hours from San Bernardino is not considered West Coast. It's like, I mean, and they'll get mad fiction. at me. Give them the spot. <laughs> Give them the spot. All right, we'll take a break. My bad. I don't mean to make you feel this way. Oh, you ain't making me feel no way. Oh, <laughs> look at him. He's like Scherzer. It didn't bother me. Sure. Except to stare somebody down. Oh, yes. <laughs> East Coaster. That's right. It's over. <laughs> over. That's right. Just take the middle key of the, sta- of the keystone state. Take the middle keystone. <laughs> Let's talk game time. Boy, do we love using game time tickets at the Rich Eisen Show. And every single time I've been watching the basketball playoffs on TV, I've been wondering what it would be like to be at these games. And when you choose your tickets on game time, you can see the view from your seat where the court is, where you are in relation to it. And then the all-in prices, that's my favorite feature. The all-in prices make sure that you see the lowest price guarantee and also know exactly how much everything costs all in before you purchase. So all the guests 
coursework is removed when you buy playoff tickets with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use my code RICH for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Visit GameTime.co for restrictions. Again, create an account, redeem my code RICH for $20 off your first purchase. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Can you still believe Brady and Belichick are back at it? Still, I mean, it's, it's incredible. The number of the number of teams, and with all due respect, first ballot Hall of Famers that they prevented from getting to where they have now gone for a ninth time. Wow! You could just run the list here. I can't believe they're still here. Yeah. So I played eleven years. Yes, you did. They have been to the Super Bowl nine times. What the hell? And I didn't get there once. Right. Think about that. Right. And I was one pick away from being drafted by the Patriots. What happened? The Chargers drafted no, me. I know that. <laughs> no, but I know that's what happened. They didn't. They didn't. But, but so come I, up, they didn't come up and come get you. So or? I went to. Uh, so I went on a visit to the Patriots, and that's when Charlie Weiss was the offense coordinator. Mm-hmm. And I go to Boston, and I, I really like the visit. I like Charlie. I love Charlie Weiss. Did you meet with Bill? I did meet with Bill. You know, we sat in his office right above the stadium, right there where you're looking out at the stadium. And we really just sat there. We really didn't talk about much. We just looked at each other. You know? What do you mean? So, what, what do you mean you just looked we, at each we other? Just kinda, like we just kind of stared like in each other's eyes, you know, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying it was awkward? Is that what you're no, saying? I mean, I just, you know, you know how Bill is. He just, there's only a few things he probably wants to know about you. And I, I guess he was trying to get a sense of... You know, was I passionate about football? As most coach, coaches do, you're right. going to invest the first round pick on a guy. You want to make sure they're passionate. And so, uh, but after that, we just kind of, you know, I don't remember much conversation. So, do you think? Because I'm like, you're fifth overall, and they're choosing six. I think they had the sixth pick. They had the sixth point. pick. This is the year that Brady was about to be. Yeah, he's Mo Lewis be- into. Exactly. Greatness, okay? And so this is coming off of the 2000 season in which Brady was drafted. Right. And Bledsoe and the Patriots didn't do as well as they had thought they could. Do you think they would have chosen you if you were available? Well, they said they were going to choose me. Charlie Weiss promised me if I was there at Sticks because they needed a running back. They needed a running back bad that year. And so, uh, yeah, when the Chargers drafted me, I think they took Richard Seymour. Richard Seymour, yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, worked they, did, they, they, they worked, worked out there. Worked out they worked out there. Worked out. <laughs> have you ever brought up to Brady when you've seen him? Like, no, I, never brought it up. You could have been Robin, his I, Batman. I always, <laughs> I always thought about, you know, what, what would that be like? With I'll all due respect to right Antoine now. Smith. All due respect. Yeah, I know, right? To Antoine yeah. Smith. Yeah, I know. It would have been a little different. <laughs> a little yeah. different. No way. Yeah. I'm kind of getting freaked out. <laughs> be happy 42nd birthday to the great, brilliant LaDainian Tomlinson. 21 is 42 today, double 21. 
How about that? 844-204-RICH, number to dial right here on The Rich Eisen Show. And uh, we are back here on The Rich Eisen Show. The great uh, Tony Hale uh, from Arrested Development, from Veep, now from a new kids show that you can check on Disney+. Plus. The Mysterious Benedict Society. He'll be joining us in hour number three. Also in hour number three, Mike Rizzo, the um, <clears throat> the general manager of the Washington Nationals, has uh, chimed in on what Joe Girardi did with Max Scherzer last night. Oh, baby. Um, and uh, Mike Rizzo sounded a lot like, uh, since it happened in Philadelphia, <laughs> Frank Rizzo. Yeah. Um, and you would know who Frank Rizzo is, right, T.J. Jefferson, having grown up on the East Coast? Oh, yeah, that's my man. Do you know who Frank Rizzo is? The Big Riz. Who no, is Frank who's Rizzo? Frank Rizzo? Who's you, Frank Rizzo? You know who Frank Rizzo is. <laughs> <laughs> Frank Rizzo. I will give you $100. Frank, Rizzo, you know Frank, Rizzo, Frank Rizzo is one of the... Uh, one of the jerky boys. Most, yeah. No, no, He no. is that too. Hey, I, <laughs> he was one of the guys named in the jerky <laughs> yeah, boys. He was. But I don't need to talk to you. Rizzo. Go ahead, Google Frank Rizzo. A former police commissioner of the Philadelphia He's also, Police Department. I mean, you, you would know if you're from Philly who Frank Rizzo is. I tend not to, like, mix with that type mayor of Mayor of Philadelphia from mayor. 72 to 80. One of the, yeah, yeah. yeah. one of the <laughs> most famous mayors in the history of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Yeah. But, you know, if you're from the eastern time zone, you would know who Frank Rizzo is. Certainly if you grow up <laughs> in Pennsylvania. He was born in 1920, I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh <laughs> Who can we go to? All the phone lines are lit. This is just a wonderful thing. Uh, let's go to Christopher in Philadelphia uh, here on the Rich Eyes Show. Been hanging on for uh, just a couple hours almost. How are you, sir? Good, Rich. How you doing? What's going on in your mind? Uh, well, you know, I love Costas' theater of the mind. That's awesome. Uh, I've never heard that before. Um, but, you know, I like Costas' idea about having approved substances. Yeah in the game, but I really think the problem goes back to the ball itself, right? Like, it comes from Rawlings, it has this new sheen on it, and people in the clubhouse and the trainers and the equipment staff, they, like, rub it with dirt to try to, you know, take some of that sheen off because dirt is a, a, a acceptable substance, and they have to go through all this rigmarole to get to the ball to a place where the pitchers are able to grip it, and they still can't grip it because the ball sit in the box. And collect dust before you know they're actually using the game. So I, I really think the problem is with the manufacturing of the baseball itself. You know, not adding all this other substance. Can we get the baseball to a point where it's able to be handled like right out of the box? Well, here's the thing: is that it, it, you know, by the way, before I let you go, Christopher, you're from Philly. Is that where you're from? Sure am, but I was born and raised in Los Angeles, so okay. I'm not technically an East Coaster. No, it's okay. But you're you spent time in Philadelphia. How long have you been spending time in Philadelphia? About 10 years. Okay. Is Altoona an East Coast uh, town? It is absolutely not. Thank you, Christopher. Appreciate the call. Yep. Thanks, buddy. What you know, Chris? <laughs> Look, um, the baseballs are, are difficult, fresh out of the box, and that's why, you know, uh, they are rubbed up with mud and things of that nature. Once they're out of, Once you take a baseball out of the box, they are treated by some clubhouse... Um, attendant, and each pitcher likes the baseballs rubbed up with mud, dirt. They like the baseballs treated to get ready for the game in a manner that's suitable for them. You heard Pedro say something that went viral because he (laughs) talked about how he liked his balls rubbed up. 
But I just said those words, TJ, because I know you're <laughs> snickering over there like a second grader. <laughs> but the same thing with the NFL. When an NFL ball comes out of the box, it is new, it is shiny, it is very difficult Terrible. to throw. And as a matter of fact, yeah. as a matter of fact, there was some gamesmanship in the NFL where a team would be in charge of the home team were in charge of what footballs were to be used. And Brady, to his grave, will say that in Miami, when it was time for the Patriots to go and march down the field and Brady needs to get points on the board for the Patriots to win, he would go under center and it would be a brand new shiny ball that he had never touched before. It would be a brand new shiny football with a sheen on it and and not worked in at all. And he'd be like, what the hell is this? So the NFL... Because it's in my book. That's how long ago this was. It's in my book, Total Access. The NFL, all the quarterbacks got together. Brady, Peyton Manning at the time, Matt Hasselbeck, all of them got together and petitioned the NFL and say, when we are on the road, we want to use, we're going to bring our own footballs. And as we all know, there was a big to-do about certain footballs that Brady was using at home and who was handling it and who wasn't. And then the NFL put together kicking footballs, specific footballs that were to be used just for Punting and place kicking. That's it. The regular ball that would be used by the Patriots on the road would come out, and when the left-footed punter, invariably, or Vinatieri would trot on the field, it would be a totally different football, a kicking ball with a K on it. That's what the NFL did to try and remove any chicanery from it. But the thing is, it's not like the football would be tighter or wound up differently. That's the difference with a baseball. So there isn't a way for you to do anything where the ball is ready to be used fresh out of the box. And you have to have some sort of grip on the ball. If pitchers are growing up using a rosin bag and some other stuff, that's the problem. It's like, when do, when do they have spider tack put in their hands? Is it in college? Is it in the single A? Is it in double A? Like, hey, you yeah. need this so you want to get to the majors. Is that when it is? Because it doesn't appear to be in pony baseball. At what point does somebody put something in the hands of a, of, a, of a star pitcher and say, you need one of these? I got John Smoltz on tomorrow's show. I cannot wait to talk with him about this sort of thing. Cannot wait to talk to him. I mean, same deal. Are they checking little leaguers for substances? Not all. I'll let you know this fall. Jeez. Matt in Santa Cruz, California. You're on the Rich Eisen Show. What's up, Matt? Howdy, Rich. Thanks for taking my call. I have Altoona in my roots. My old man was Altoona High Class of 41. Hey. So, uh, okay. And I, I love hearing T.J. Jefferson pronounce names like Dawn, the producer, because <laughs> we, we grew up making fun of the old man. Um, <laughs> but no, it's, uh, I grew up in Baltimore, and that, an international seaport, is still not coastal. It's like saying Bakersfield is on the West Coast. So, love you, TJ, but I can't back you up on that. <laughs> but I can't back you up on East Coast. And I go back there every year for deer season. And by the way, I just heard how you just said the word on. You can yeah. back them up on it. On. I love it. You take, you take <laughs> care of yourself. Thanks for taking my call. Like Thanks for making All right, bro. Right back at you. <laughs> this is really no offense here. It's just, it, it, it's sort of like Larry David. Well, once asked him, uh, you know, Will you ever go to a, a destination wedding? He goes, how far is it? And uh, never. A plane? Never. I'm like, well, what, what's your point of demarcation? He goes, hour and a half by car. <laughs> Outside of that, I'm not coming to your wedding. Hour and a half by car. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So at some point, like, what, what, what is it? Is it, is it a 30-month? Like, what's your, like what, what's, what's not 
everything in New Jersey is East Coast, right? No, everything in New Jersey no, is East Coast? No. Where my sister lives in Princeton is not East I mean, I consider them borderline East Coast. Princeton is not oh. considered East Coast, huh? Is Staten Island considered New York schools, City? Yes, yes, it is. Yeah, Chris yeah. Brockman? Yes oh, or no? 100%. Well, I mean, well, he does that just look, to annoy me, but yes. I do it just to troll Rich. There are five boroughs. Yeah, in the borough. The charter of the city of New York, there are five department. boroughs. It's yesterday, five yesterday there was a big election in New York City. They voted. There was primary day in New York City. For New York City mayor, go look it up. Every single vote. Go look at the map of New York City. There is the five borough map of New York City. Technically. They voted <laughs> They voted for mayor in sure. Staten Island, New York yeah. last night. Let so when you, you say to me that are you, you're not technically from New York City, you I will curse at you. Right. I will literally curse at you because that's where I am from. And yeah. it, is, it is offensive. Even though there are four bridges that connect the rest of America mm -hmm. to Staten Island, three of them attach to New Jersey. And I was there working as a reporter for the Staten Island Advance when there was a vote to secede from the city yeah, of New York. Yeah, tried to do that. Whoa. To be its own yeah. city. All yeah. I'm saying is you and get- it failed. It failed. So there were some people that were done with New York City on Staten Island because they were sending us all your garbage, all your crap yeah, and your garbage, literally. Garbage there was the largest- I grew up I grew up on Staten Island, New York. This is what offends me when people say, are you from New yeah, York City or not? you get far more offended than I do. I'm because just putting that out there you're right not now. from the East Coast. You're from but the I'm center fine, of a state. I'm fine with it. You're getting heated I about this Staten Island. I would, up, I would grow up in New York City <laughs> and I would have to close my window on certain days. Yeah. Because I was two miles away, downwind from the largest garbage dump in the history of planet Earth, the Fresh Kills landfill. Gross. It would be everybody's beverage, banana peels from the Bronx, and crap from the Queens, Living and Brooklyn threw something out, and somebody from the Upper West Side, from Hell's Kitchen, from whatever. New Jersey. It would be getting on a, not from New Jersey, it would no, all from New York City. I know, no, all I know. the garbage of everybody <laughs> from the other four boroughs would be stationed right there, and I couldn't even breathe because it stunk to high heaven. So don't tell me I'm not from New York Rich. City. It ends with, you have a fire department that's part of the city of New York and a police department part of the city of New York. It's New York, period. Don't tell me. I don't have it. That's don't, all I'm, I'm saying. So, yeah. Do you grow up with my garbage? No. I'd look down one from a bread factory. <laughs> smells great. Coming up. <laughs>